And we'll pick up where we left off a month or so ago in this chapter concerning thoughts about the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. We live in a degenerating world and society. The enemy, Satan himself, would like to tell us that there is no hope. In the midst of our down times and our downward spiral, during the periods of our discouragements and times of failure, Satan wants us to think that there is no way out and that everything around us is crumbling. I am a failure. And at times he would like us to think that I am a loser. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 14 that we went through in the last message a month ago, describes the difference between our carnal flesh, mind and heart, versus the spiritual mind and heart. When we yield our minds to the carnal flesh, we are living our life in direct opposition to God. Verse 7 but when we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, we have life and peace. Verse 6. In verse 9, it says that when we don't have the Spirit dwelling and working inside of us, we are none of His. But those who believe in Christ do have the Spirit, it says, and we are His. Apart from God, there is no hope. We are lonely, we are lost, but in Christ we have hope and we are His. And that's where we pick back up here in the 14th verse, we are His. This morning you'll notice the rest of this chapter, and I don't know if we'll get clear through it or not, but there are a lot of, there is a lot of confirmation by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confirmation of hope. And that comes to us in different ways as we go through the rest of the 8th chapter here. <clears throat> Why is it so important? I'll, I'll read a few verses here, verses 14 through 16. Maybe we'll just read a section at a time as we go through this this morning. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Why is it so important for us to understand as a believer, that we are 
sons and daughters of God's, that we actually belong to Him. I know, especially you young people, there are times, and really all of us, there are times in our lives when we don't feel accepted. And sad to say, that tends to drive our behavior. Sometimes we do everything we can to get attention or to show off a bit so that we think that that will gain acceptance by others. Or maybe we'll reach out to other things that gives us a form of security so that we think that that gives us acceptance. Even those of us in the church at times, that can tend to drive a negative behavior because we think to be accepted by God that we have to perform. And we know what that leads to. It is so important for us to realize the fore part of this chapter gives us to understand that we have a positional relationship with God when we have the Holy Spirit within us. And that Holy Spirit reveals to us, confirms to us, if you would, through the Word of God this morning, that we are sons and daughters of His. Thus, we belong to Him. I don't know what it means to you to be a son of God this morning. I don't know if you even think about it. Maybe it's a, become a Christian cliché. But this gives us to understand that we are sons and daughters of God, and that means a lot to me this morning. One thing that it means that is so critical is I belong to Him. Regardless of what your friends may think or not think about you, regardless if you feel accepted among your peers or not, God accepts you for who you are in Him. You belong to Him. It can also mean that, of course, that we are part of His family. He is our Father. We cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. That means a very intimate relationship with Father God. We are not only His, we are not only uh, belonging to Him, but He is our Father. And we are part of His family. Thus, we are brothers and sisters in the same family. And that means a lot to me this morning. In my downtimes and my discouragements, uh, at times when I feel there is no hope, you come around me as brothers and sisters. And God uh, comes and puts His arms around me as my daddy or my father. It means a lot to me this morning. It gives me hope to be a son of God. And it should mean a lot to you as well. It also means that we were chosen by Him. There's other scriptures that tells us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. We were chosen by God. It says here we, are, we were adopted by God. And I'm not going to get into all of 
of what all that ad spiritual adoption could mean. Uh, there's other scriptures that tells us that we must be born again of water and of the Spirit. Uh, so there must be a new birth that takes place. But I believe simultaneously we're also adopted. We were outside of the family. We were not a part of God. The Bible says that we were lost and that we were hopeless. But we were chosen by God. He saw a purpose in you and He brought you to Himself. He chose you and He brought you near to Him. We were adopted. And that's why we cry, Abba, Father. We are sons and daughters. So the first confirmation of hope is that we are a son or daughter of God. Verses 17 through 19, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You might just stay right with me and read these words together because there's a big impact here. If you're a child of God, then you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him and we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. <clears throat> As a son of God, we're not only chosen and adopted by God into his family, but more than that, it says here that you now become heirs of God. And I don't know what that tells me just on a surface level is that everything that God has, now listen to this, everything that God has, He has given to you as a child. When, and we'll qualify that in, in, as we go through this. But that's a confirmation of hope, to be an heir of God. Everything that he owns, everything he possesses, he has given to his children to access. Let's say that your earthly father passes away and you have three other siblings and the four of you now fall heir to the hundred acre farm. That would mean as an heir that you, you actually own a fourth of that farm. You fell heir to what your father had. But it goes on here and says, and joint heirs, King James language, I think some versions as fellow heirs, you are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. So as a son of God, you not only have access to everything that God has, but as a joint heir or a fellow heir, it doesn't mean, it means that you, that you are soul, that you have soul possession. In other words, you don't own just a fourth of that farm. 
every one of you, all four of you, own it all. Now, I can't get my mind around that completely, but that's what this language means. You're not only an heir of God, but you are a joint heir of Je with Jesus Christ. What a confirmation of hope that we have through the Holy Spirit. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Now let me be real clear. We'll never be God. I'm not saying that, that we, because we have access to everything God has given us, that we are like God or that we are God or that we will ever become Savior, Jesus Christ. But God wants us to possess everything that He has. And that comes, of course, in part now and in fullness in our glorious future. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access into His possessions. This is, says in verse 19 that we have an earnest expectation. And that word, that phrase means hope. It means a strong consolation. It means to me a rock-solid hope. In part now, but in full realization to come. Now you stop and think about this, and we could go to Revelation and we could, we could read it there. We're not as powerful as God, but God has given us His power. Do you agree? We're not as rich as God, but God has given you His riches. God has given you access to His riches. We're not as wise as God, but God will give you wisdom from Him. God, I believe, has given you glory, now in part. But our hope is full glory in the future. What God has, He wants you to access. I see this as a great consolation of hope. Not only are we a son of God and we belong to Him, but we are heirs of God. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it says here, for the earnest expectation, verse 19, of the creature waiteth for the manifestation or the full revelation of the Son of God. Strength, power, riches, wisdom, glory, and more. What God has, He has given to us through Jesus Christ. It's ours through the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> Verse 19. The Greek meaning here of this verse is for the intense expectation and hope of the creature waits 
for the full revelation of his sonship. I'll repeat that. For the intense expectation and hope of the creature waits for the full revelation of his sonship. And this, along with verse 18, tells me that while we will suffer, it says here, while we will suffer, and we struggle here, and we grope in our present life, the glory that will be revealed in us is so much better. And it says here, it cannot be compared. The eager longing, the intense expectation, the fullness of hope is just as sure as if it has already happened. And so when you're feeling down and when you're feeling maybe in darkness, discouragement, rejection, let the Holy Spirit confirm to you this morning through the word of God that your heavenly father loves you and that he cares for you. And he has promised you everything that he possesses for your future. He's given you enough now to overcome. There is hope. Verses 20 through 27, this section is speaking about all creation as it waits and longs for our hope to be revealed. <clears throat> Verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Humankind, are, all humankind are exposed to this vanity, to bondage, to corruption. But we have this same hope and we have, we have been created into a glorious liberty, it says, of the children of God. The rest of this section, verses Verses 21 through 27, there are three groanings here. I don't know if you've picked that up before as you read through this passage. There are three groanings that I want to touch on this morning. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You ever stop and think about that? Every tree, every flower, the grass, all of God's creation groaning, waiting for this hope to be revealed. All of creation, it says, groans. waiting for this hope to come into a reality. And yes, the flower comes 
forth in the spring and it, all of its glory, but we know that that glory is temporary, that it will fade, that it will die. The book of Revelation speaks about the beauty of the trees and the landscape someday. It also speaks about the beasts that will in that day come before the very throne of God and lay down their glory to Him. I don't know what that means. I can't describe it any further. But the Word of God says that their glory will be made uh, fuller in my own words. And that there will be glory there in all of creation. A realness. And until then, Romans 8 says, that all of creation is waiting. And it's groaning. And it's sighing in deep pain. This, uh, this, this word travail in King James uh, literally means the same pain as a woman giving birth. And of course, I can't relate with that. But it's a deep pain among the worst. Creation is groaning, waiting. The second groaning, verse 23, And not only they... But ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the, the redemption of our bodies. So not only uh, creation around us, but every believer really is groaning because we're waiting for this blessed hope to come into fruition. <clears throat> it refers to us possessing the first fruits. That's speaking of Jesus Christ who is the first fruits of the resurrection. And again, because he rose... This is all based, our hope is all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because He died and He rose again, and He is the first fruits of the resurrection, we too will follow, Hebrews says. And we have that promise of hope that will come forth in the full redemption of our bodies. And so when our bodies ache and pain, and we groan, and we hurt, and we're discouraged, Rest assured, be confirmed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God this morning that there is coming a time through the resurrection that there will be a fullness of redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, we are saved by this hope. Though we cannot see it now, if we could see it, it says, then it wouldn't be hope, would it? It would be a reality. But verse 25 says, we do hope with certainty for that which we cannot see now. We long for it. We wait patiently for it. We groan for it. Saying, Lord, come 
Jesus. The groaning of creation, the groaning of the believer. But third, verses 26 and 27, this has hit me in a, in a, a very uh, clear way that I wonder if this isn't the most important of these three groanings. Verse 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Get your mind around that. The groaning of the Holy Spirit is real important to the subject of hope. It is the groaning of the Holy Spirit as He intercedes for us at the very throne of God. This word likewise, verse 26, means in likeness of. So it means in the same way. So just like the Holy Spirit has confirmed in the first section of this chapter that God can deliver us from condemnation, He can deliver us from our carnality, He can deliver us from our orphanage, making us sons of God, He can deliver us from our sufferings and from our groanings, Likewise, it says, He can deliver us in the throne room. He can bring life to our prayer life. He can deliver us from our infirmities. It says here, verse 26, and our weaknesses. Even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is there in the throne room groaning in your behalf. And this brings me a lot of hope. I would guess every individual in this audience this morning has times when you don't know how to pray. You don't know the end. And maybe you're praying for yourself or maybe you're interceding in prayer for someone else and you don't know how to pray. You don't have the words. I get a lot of confirmation in this passage this morning, this third groaning, the groaning of the Holy Spirit. It gives me hope. And I don't understand it. I don't have, I can't, I can, I can't picture me going into the throne room speechless. And the Trinity team is there waiting on me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit interceding. And when I'm speechless, it says here, confirmed by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, that He will intercede. And the reason I take so much hope in this is because so many times 
My prayers are skewed and slanted according to what I want or what maybe even I want for you. It says here that the Holy Spirit searcheth the heart. So he knows our need. He knows exactly what we need. Coupled with the idea that he knows the mind of God in the matter. And so when you don't know how to pray, rest assured, take hope that the Holy Spirit knows your heart. He searcheth the heart and he knows you through and through. And he also knows what the mind of God is. And he intercedes for you, word for word. He intercedes for you according to the will of God. Can you take hope in that this morning? This should bring life to our prayer life. The Holy Spirit is groaning in your behalf. And he can deliver us from our weakness, from our infirmities. Verse 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This is a passage that oftentimes, of course, gets taken out of context, or in some cases gets dropped altogether because we don't like that subject of predestination. I'm simple enough just to take it right in context, right along with what we've been talking about, what, right along with what the Spirit has been confirming. Nowhere does it say here that God has predestined someone to heaven or hell. Nowhere here does it say that God has taken your choice away or that God does not want to give you the ability to respond to Him. What it's saying here to me, just in my simplicity, is God knows the big picture. And just like it's been teaching all along, God knows what your need is. God knows that there's going to be things in your life that you can't handle. I believe that God is big enough to take everything, both good and bad, and knit it together, weave it together into His big picture. And I believe in the end, that will be a beautiful picture. It may not be pretty in the moment. It may hurt. We may struggle. It says here we will struggle. But in the end, God will make it for His good. There is one thing here. It says that God has predestined us. 
And again, it does not say that he has predestined anyone to hell. That is contrary to other scripture. What it says here is he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. It is all in context with what the Holy Spirit is teaching us here. God is working you. Every since you were conceived in your mother's womb, every since you were born, God is working you. He is molding you. He is shaping you. He is bending you. He is pressurizing you at times. And watering you with the Holy Spirit. Ever since he set you as a lump of clay on his potter's wheel, he is forming and conforming you into the image of his dear son. That is the greatest desire, I believe, of God for his children, is that we would be conformed to the image of his dear son. That you would begin to look like Jesus. That you would begin to act like Jesus. And I think God has predestined that ever since you were. That's his greatest desire for you. And he is calling you, it says. You are the called. He is bringing you to himself continually. That's not a one-time calling if you look that up. He is continuing to call us closer and closer and closer to him. He has called you. He has justified you. And he is glorifying you. It's no wonder it says here in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? We're out of time. The rest of the chapter here gives me great confirmation of hope. Brother and sister. Verses 32 through 34, who can condemn us as God's chosen? Verse verse 34 says again that Jesus is there in the throne room interceding for us. 35, who can separate us? 36, who can kill us? 37, no one. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Take confirmation this morning that you are not only given the power of God to overcome, you are given his power and strength to conquer. And even more than that, you are more than conquerors, it says, through him. So as hard as life can be sometimes. If you look at the big picture of God, if you look at the end, most of you have read the end of this book. You know the outcome. And it says here that if you're a child of God and you remain faithful to him, you will overcome. You will win. You will be victorious. So in the moment of discouragement, be confirmed by this hope. Verses 38 and 39 says there's nothing or no one 
above or beneath or around you, past, present, or future, that can take this away from you. Let's have a song. Amen. Beautiful song. Brother Phil Hollinger, would you lead us in prayer, please?